The 36th annual Fermilab WGN-TV Tornado and Severe Storm Seminar was Saturday at Fermilab. The list of speakers included National Weather Service Director Dr. Louis Uccellini and Storm Prediction Center Director Dr. Rush Schneider. This event has become something like a storm of palooza for the Chicago area, and WGN Chief Meteorologist Tom Skilling, who's with us on the opening bell, to talk about this event and the business of weather. Tell us about what you have planned for this year. Steve, you're absolutely right. We, we, when we started this back in the early 80s, we never thought we'd be doing this uh, 36 years later, but here we are, and we've got a fantastic show planned. We've endeavored every year to cover uh, new items uh, so that folks who uh, join us year after year uh, walk away with new material uh, in the course of uh, our program. This year, we're, we're excited to, for a number of reasons. One, we have, again, the director of the National Weather Service, Dr. Louis Uccellini, coming in. The Weather Service has been uh, in the midst of a revolutionary increase in their computing power. Uh, this installation started after Hurricane Sandy landfalled, and the European Center's model did a better job than our U.S. model. They, for years, had enjoyed uh, more computing power, and uh, finally, Congress moved and approved the money to upgrade our supercomputing capacity. So, in the course of the last two years, they've increased by tenfold uh, the uh, uh, computing capability, and this has all kinds of implications. Uh, for one thing, there are teams working uh, on improving our hurricane models and all manner of models. We've had a big uh, increase in resolution on our global model that looks out 16 days. Uh, there have been increases in the resolution uh, and the number of components to a short-term model, which is used heavily by the Storm Prediction Center and all of us in meteorology to predict severe weather, tornadoes, and thunderstorms. And uh, there will be more changes uh, uh, in line with that as well. So Dr. Uccellini is going to talk about that. We have Rush Schneider in from the Storm Prediction Center. He'll expand on that as well. Uh, that's an amazing operation down there in Norman that puts out all of the country's thunderstorm and tornado watches. So they're kind of our sentinels uh, in terms of severe weather. Uh, in terms of putting out watches and all uh, and offering some advance warning of these storms. Uh, we also had the ComEd uh, uh, disaster relief folks coming in. Uh, they look uh, very, very carefully at developing weather situations to anticipate the deployment of crews to uh, bring power back online after these uh, devastating weather events. And they also uh, uh, join ranks with their fellow utilities around the country to get out and uh, uh, help, for instance, after Superstorm Sandy or uh, any of the blizzards that have occurred or the Tuscaloosa, Alabama super outbreak that uh, occurred over, uh, it was one outbreak uh, that occurred over three uh, days, produced over 300 tornadoes in the country. We had never seen anything like that. It even surpassed the 1974 super outbreak. Uh, on the local scene, we're going to look back at Fairdale the tornado disaster that occurred there claimed two lives, devastated that community. It's just the latest in a string of uh, tornado disasters. We had Washington, Illinois uh, several years ago. We've had Plainfield and Utica. And on the Plainfield front, a young documentarian has done a fantastic job looking back at that uh, April, August 28, 1990 disaster, uh, which of course claimed 29 lives, injured over 350 people, in that southwest suburbs, that storm struck without warning. Uh, there had been a thunderstorm watch out, but nobody had anticipated the rain-wrapped uh, EF5 tornado. It remains to this day the only EF5 tornado to sweep the Chicago area. We've had some big ones. We've had Oaklawn and Belvedere and 
those storms uh, had EF4 intensity uh, tornadoes. But Plainfield was the first one to reach that top-tier intensity. And, uh, you know, ever since then, uh, there was a complete overhaul that was done on our storm spotter network. Uh, they moved up the installation time of this incredible Doppler radar that we have uh, down in Romeoville. Uh, and the Weather Service operates terminal Dopplers that look at wind shear developments uh, at O'Hare and Midway as well. So between the three different systems, uh, this area is covered like a blanket in terms of uh, watching these storms and looking for any rotation within them. Do you think that the uh, the uh, upgrades in equipment and technology or just the fear of these uh, growing monster storms is what fuels the public's interest in events like your event at Argonne? Well, you know, um, it's it's out at Fermilab. Uh, we, we, by the way, we have uh, Argonne researchers coming in, Steve. You're absolutely right. We have uh, Doug Sisterson and uh, Dr. Seth Darling who are... Uh, climate uh, change researchers, we're going to talk about that a critical issue too. I think the media attention to tornadoes, our ability to very swiftly get images of the disasters uh, these tornadoes produce and also of the storms themselves. I mean, when did we have social media online that instantaneously relays shots that folks are taking from the field? It really has revolutionized uh, the communication about these storms coming in and I think raised awareness. It, clearly, we've been talking about the you know tornadoes for a long time, but with uh, social media so much uh, you know before us these days, and able to communicate uh, you know scenes of devastation instantly once these things happen, uh, I think there's a level of public awareness we've never uh, enjoyed before, and I say enjoyed because I think what it does is it makes people think ahead of time. What would I do if the house starts coming apart? Because that's often, you know, you don't often get a lot of lead time. We have about 13 minutes of lead time that has been generated thanks to the implementation of this Doppler radar uh, system that the Weather Service operates. But, uh, you know, the fact is that's not a lot of time. And there are certain storms where we get more lead time. Utica, for instance, had a warning out more than a half an hour ahead of time. Tuscaloosa was warned uh, well in advance. But um, people are still dying, and there's great concern in our profession about why that is. How can we craft these warnings in a way to, to make contact with the folks who are at risk and more clearly communicate the level of risk? I know that the National Weather Service is a little concerned about social media because sometimes misinformation gets transmitted. But it sounds to me like you, uh, you and other meteorologists think it's helpful. It is, it is helpful, but there's no question there's that downside to social media. You know, uh, I always was one who believed that, uh, you know, the best disinfectant is sunshine. You hear that phrase all the time. But I think what we've seen happen is misinformation is communicated on this medium as well. Uh, and uh, so there are positives, big positives, but there are negatives as well because rumors and, uh, uh, you know, 4K. We, the, the one thing about social media, it doesn't discriminate based upon your experience or your training. Uh, you have a Nobel laureate who uh, appears in the same, uh, you know, looks uh, a post from a Nobel laureate looks the same as from somebody who has little experience and yet makes a pronouncement that is inaccurate. So uh, discerning which pieces of information are credible and which aren't is a big issue that goes on. We get uh, false reports of snowstorms developing uh, in advance and all kinds of misinformation that's communicated. That's on the downside, but the positive side is we also have a flow of information on developing weather situations 
which is has really been a, a plus for us in the weather profession. Here on the opening bell, we focus a lot on the business of and the, the financial cost of. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the financial costs of bad weather and uh, why it's important for f- our finances that we have good forecasting. Oh, Steve, that's a, it's such a good point. You know, we have people say this climate change discussion is a hoax um, and so forth. How ridiculous. I mean, the only hoax is that there is a hoax. Uh, climate is changing, and it's changing faster than it ever has before, which sets it aside. The other argument you hear is we've always had climate change and nothing, you know, we've survived it. Not at the speed that we've had, we have it going right now. Uh, the Arctic is, uh, it, by some accounts, by the way, it's the the planet's temperature uh, is changing at about 10 times the speed of anything we've seen in the past. And this has profound implications on uh, the storm tracks across the country, on extreme precipitation events on both sides of the spectrum, both in the drought arena and on the uh, severe weather arena. Uh, and uh, you're right. One gauge is to look at how these weather disasters uh, are, uh, uh, you know, really costing us some money. Uh, we've had over $180 billion weather disasters since 1980 in this country. They're occurring at a rate we've never seen before. There are more of us that are being impacted. That's another thing. Climate change is occurring on a planet that never has hosted the population that we have today. But those $180 billion weather disasters have to be paid for. Uh, Our government comes in and has to clean up after these. In 2012, the year that the Superstorm Sandy went into the East Coast, we ran up a tab of $110 billion uh, in cleanups after uh, weather disasters. And this can be anything from massive tornado outbreaks. There's just been a study out saying while the numbers of tornadoes have gone down, the ones that are occurring are occurring in groups which are more devastating than the, uh, the, the smaller number of individual storms uh, that, uh, that are occurring. Uh, so $110 billion, that to put that in some kind of perspective is more money than the federal government uh, spends on education or transportation at the federal level uh, in this country. That, that's like a tax of $1,100 on every U.S. taxpayer, it's been calculated. And it, you either put that on the credit card and uh, borrow it, or you, uh, you pay for it through the tax revenues. And uh, one way or another, this is a lot of money that we're deferring into these, uh, these weather disasters that seem to be occurring and affecting larger numbers of people uh, on, a, on a fairly regular basis. And this all comes under the context recently of NASA's uh, latest pronouncement and the National Weather Services about the melting sea ice and how it's progressing at a rate uh, to produce a disaster the likes of we've probably never seen before. You know, uh, Steve, we have melted 9 trillion tons, more than 9 trillion tons of Arctic ice uh, in the last, uh, since 1990. In Alaska alone, three and a third trillion tons of uh, Arctic ice has melted in the glaciers up there since, since 2000. Uh, there, it's occurring at the rate of about 75 billion uh, tons of uh, uh, ice loss per year in Alaska. And the melting is proceeding in Greenland. It's occurring uh, in all the Arctic regions. Uh, The the climate deniers will often point to an increase in what's called sea ice around Antarctica. They've had record high levels of that. But that actually is misleading. And in Antarctica, much as in the northern Arctic regions, the ice is melting uh, very much. It's melting from below because the ocean waters underneath it are warming. They're melting it from below. And then you get meltwater to come down from on top. 
Uh, Antarctica is a little different situation because they're high above sea level. The mean altitude of uh, or elevation of that continent is higher than any other continent on the planet. So uh, the rate at which it's melting is not quite as extreme as in the north, but it is melting. And in fact, in the last year, NASA has concluded that the ice sheet in western Antarctica has decoupled or detached from the landmass uh, beneath it. So the thought is that this entire ice sheet in western Antarctica will slide into the ocean. What's not known with great precision is how fast that process will take place. But what has been happening is the melting in the Arctic has been occurring even faster than modeled by our computer models, which also have taken a hit, you know, criticism over the years. But the fact is the models have pretty accurately laid out many of the major components of climate change that are underway. And if there's any criticism to be found with them, uh, it's that it's occurring more, you know, more rapidly than the models are predicting. Well, I know that the Fermilab event is sold out, but uh, people can watch it apparently online. And what advice would you have for folks as we head into severe weather season? What's the number one thing they can do to stay safe? Well, Steve, think about it. Have a plan. I mean, it sounds like a simple thing. But I remember in Barneveld, Wisconsin, uh, you heard reports that the first people knew there, this struck in the middle of the night, the first people knew that storm was hitting uh, was when their houses started breaking up around them. At that point, it's pretty late to be thinking about where you should go. Uh, so think about that. And uh, keep in mind that a tornado coming at you is like a, a wall of projectiles, a wall of knives, if you will, that is blowing at you. Um, you know, these, uh, what you want to do uh, in every evasive measure you take toward uh, tornadoes is to protect yourself from being struck by these projectiles or having a building collapse on you. So we recommend getting to a lower floor, preferably a basement under a heavy workbench or something heavy there, and in the center of the basement, not the corners, because the rotary winds of a tornado tend to pile the debris up in corners of basements. Uh, you want to stay away from windows at all costs and get into interior uh, rooms within a home. Preferably a bathroom, and, and that's especially so in old construction homes where you have actual pipes in the wall, not plastic pipes. Uh, these help reinforce that wall. Uh, and if you uh, think that, uh, uh, you, you know, you're still at risk, you can get into a bathtub and cover yourself with a blanket to, again, protect yourself from the flying debris. If you're caught in an open area, lay down flat, preferably in a, in a ravine uh, or some sort of uh, low-lying area. Uh, again, to cut down on the surface area of your body that can be, uh, you know, struck by debris. Uh, these are, and, and if you're in a high-rise condo building, get into an interior stairwell. The building itself is not likely to come down, but what is likely to happen with high-rise buildings, and this includes in downtown Chicago, is the windows will break in an extreme situation, and uh, these shards of glass will be flying around like uh, knives in the air, and you don't want to be struck by those. So you want to stay away from windows and get into an interior uh, stairwell where you're not su subjected to that. And then we can watch your uh, Fermilab event online. Yes, Steve, I, you know, uh, using the term sold out, I, we've been using that too. It's not really true. These are all free tickets. We have always done this completely free of charge to everybody involved and every person who joins us has uh, donated their time. And I, I can't say enough about the people we have coming in. Louis uh, from the National Weather Service, Louis Uccellini, Rush Schneider from the Storm Prediction Center. Uh, these folks have busy, busy weekday schedules, and yet they make the time to make this trip out here and join us uh, for our seminar. So um, we, we opened up free tickets this year. We consolidated from two programs into one, which is why we had to do that. And the reason we consolidated 
was simply the, the day was running too long for our guest speakers who were coming in from all over the country. Uh, we'd start at 8.30 in the morning, get out of there at 1 in the morning, and that's an awful lot to ask of people who are good enough to give up their weekends and come in and speak here. So we've tried to consolidate it, but we knew it by the same token we could could not accommodate the same number of people uh, in the auditorium. So we are streaming it online on our WGN-TV website, and if you have a WGN app, you can also pick it up there. And what's more, Steve, we're going to offer it as a free on-demand uh, offering on our website in the weeks and months that follow. So you can, from the comfort of your own home, plug into our website, you know, call into our website and pull it up. You can watch the entire program at home in the months that follow. Well, it, thanks to you and uh, all of the uh, experts, especially the National Weather Service folks who are keeping us safe every day. We uh, look forward to the event and, and uh, thank you for your time here on the opening bell. Steve, thank you. You've always been so interested in the weather and done such a marvelous job of covering it. I'm flattered to be asked to be part of this program and thanks for your kind words.